Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Greetings and thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Gene Cotter. May is Problem Solving Court Month in the state of Nebraska, and today to help us recognize that month, we are joined by Peyton Hogan. Peyton, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Peyton is a licensed mental health professional who is in private practice in Omaha, but that's not what brings him here today, Uh, and we'll get into that the the longer we talk to Peyton. Peyton, why don't you, first off, tell us about yourself growing up. Where where did you... Where did you grow up, and and what brought you to this point in your life? Definitely, yeah. So I'm I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, born and raised, lived there all of my life for the most part. Um, grew up on the north side, had a single-parent household uh, after the age of about 11, 12 years old. My mom and dad uh, didn't really work out, and so, you know, that was pretty traumatic for me. Didn't realize it was traumatic back then, though, just kind of living life. I think that's how most kids from where I'm from kind of just experience life like you expected. Um, so I, you know, I grew up with a lot of anger. I had had some pretty good grades growing up though, like when I was in elementary school, straight A kid, got like the president's award, all these different things, got invited to like think tanks, middle school hit though. And uh, it was a completely different story. I kind of like backed away from school. Uh, I specifically remember, uh, if I if I can get in a little bit more detail, is that all right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I specifically remember um, there was a time where you know, I was just kind of acting up in school and uh, got removed from basketball. Basketball was my first love. I wanted to go to the NBA and uh, got removed from the team. And from there, I just kind of like went down a path of like destruction in my life, I think. But I was always like a, you know, I was always like a good kid. And so get to high school and it's a lot of the same things. Um, but ultimately ended up with my master's in clinical mental health from UNO and I've been practicing for going on three years now. It's a, it's an awesome field to work in, just being able to help individuals really like overcome barriers that they have in their mind, because I once had barriers in my mind as well. I think we all deal with some type of barrier, you know, uh, and a lot of times, just depending on how we're raised, we either have like that mindset of like, when things hit the fan, like I'm gonna quit, or when things hit the fan, I try to figure out how to stop the fan and get through it, you know, and a lot of us don't know how to stop that fan. And so just being able to be in this industry and be in this field, it's really just like helping me to have more of an impact because I've learned how to press through. I want to get a little bit more down the road. The, the longer we talk, the more I'm going to get into this, but you actually are a consultant right now, right? In, Mar- in marketing yeah. and mindset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were talking a little bit before we started re- recording about mindset. Do me a favor, go deeper into that, the importance of mindset. Definitely, definitely. Well, first off, um, before I talk a little bit about that, I want to do some self-promo for myself. If anybody out there has Instagram, I post daily on the importance of mindset and helping people to just really be intentional with their mindset. So if you want to tap into that, go ahead and tap into my Instagram. It's Peyton Hogan, or my tag name is XX underscore the conscious creator. Um, But mindset, like whatever you think will come into reality, it's as simple as that. You know, if I think I can't, I won't. But on the opposite side of that, if I think that I can, I can. But here's where it starts to get tricky, right? 
when we're growing up, we learn whether or not we can or we can't by the influences that we have around us. They teach us that. We see individuals when, when they're faced with adversity, if they can't, do they give up? And we learn that. Like, if I see somebody around me giving up, then, you know, this is normal. I'm going to give up. And that does something to my mindset. So now when I'm faced with a situation, I don't necessarily know that I can, you know, thought process. Mindset is everything. What you think will come. You just talked a little bit about, you went from basically junior high, getting kicked off the basketball team, to a master's degree at UNO. Yeah. There's a bit of a, there's a bit of a hole there. What, uh, where was Peyton during, during, between junior high and his master's degree? Peyton, uh, like I said, Peyton was on a road to destruction. Um, I had a lot of built up anger inside of me just through, through traumatic events that had happened in my life. Um, different situations and things like that. Me and my dad didn't have the best relationship growing up. Love my dad to death now. He's probably one of my closest people in my life now. Um, but I had a lot of anger. And so what this did is it, it, it made me seek for things that could instantly gratify that unpleasant experience that I was having in my life. And so I started gravitating towards drugs started gravitating towards drugs. I had people in my family who did drugs. I had people in my family who were in gangs. And so I gravitated towards that lifestyle. Now, did I need to? No. But that was there. That was the out. I was looking for something, which we all look for something. Some people look for something in, in food, that food comforts them. You know, other people resort to, you know, sexual pleasures. They they get comfort in that, and they fall down a road that is, is it can get pretty twisty and turny and winding. You know, you know what I'm saying? For me, it was it was drugs, and so I started selling drugs around the age of 12, um, and all throughout high school, I was doing that as well too. And it eventually caught up to me in my undergrad um, at Wayne State. You were playing football, right? I was playing football. So, I, had, oh, no, I was just ahead. gonna say, how did you how do you go from being a basketball player, love of your life, to being a being a college ball player? Yeah, so uh, in high school, <laughs> this is actually a. It's a funny story. This is one that, like, whenever I go speak with kids, I tell them about it because it was a pivotal, like, turning point in my life. Sophomore year, I went to Champ High, Omaha Central, best best high school in the state of Nebraska. I will say that till, till my last day here on this earth. Go Eagles. Uh, go Eagles. But um, I was going there. I was on the basketball team, and I remember this was right after the holiday tournament my sophomore year. Um, we had practice, and, you know, I just had this this mentality where it was like, you know, if it's not my way, I don't care. And so coach was giving me a little little push, a little feedback, and I wasn't taking it. And so I eventually said some things to him, and he kicked me out of that practice. Well, I took it as, you know what, you kicked me off the team. I don't care. And like I said, I was on the road to destruction. So basketball season, that was like almost seven days a week. It took up a lot of my time. And now in my mind, I'm like, well, I don't got basketball anymore, so let me just get back to what I was doing already. And then I ultimately got back into what I was doing. And so a week later, my coach came up to me, Coach Barons. Um, love Coach Barons. He was always, even though, even though I didn't end up playing basketball, he always had my back. But um, I remember com him coming to me in, in, in the cafeteria about a week later. And he was like, Peyton, why haven't you been at practice? And I looked at him like, practice? You, you kicked me off the team, right? And he's like, no, I kicked you out of that practice. What are you doing? Like, are, are you coming back? And... That moment when he said that, it felt like it felt like a, a whole day had passed me. I was in my head, and I'm like, do I, do I go back to practice? Like, do I just stop doing everything that I was doing? You know, stop with the drugs, stop 
stop smoking weed, stop doing all of that. And I remember he was like, so you coming? And I was like, nah, I'm good. And ever since that day, I stopped playing basketball. Um, but I fortunately had a mentor um, who was who was really an advocate for me, and he kind of picked up for me. Like he saw I needed a, a male role model in my life um, at that period in my period in my life. His name is Steve Warren. Uh, I'm not sure many people are familiar with him. He played Warren Academy. Warren Academy. Yeah, I was. <laughs> he'll tell you himself. I was actually his first client, like unofficial client. I'm the reason that he started the whole dream, the whole Warren Academy. I was his first mentee middle school he came to me and he kind of took me under his wing and he was like yo man you're athletic like you can't give up on sports like at least go out and play football and so he would train me like on Saturdays and Tuesdays like at his house he would take me to the park like all of that stuff he's like come on man like just keep playing keep playing keep playing and so I played and I I eventually got myself a scholarship out at Wayne State and uh yeah the rest is history from there now you have your master's degree in, in counseling from the University of Nebraska at Omaha. You have your own company, Bear Company LLC, mm-hmm. and you focus your attention on kids 10 to 22. Yes. How much of, two-part question here, mm-hmm. how much of what you experienced growing up with your own mindset and your own path has helped you pick that as your target population, like where you want to focus your area? And the second part of that question is probably tied in, and that is how much of of your lifelong experiences actually helped establish the path that you wanted to follow? Definitely, yeah. So um, first part of the question, all of it, all of my experience, when I'm working with these these kids, these youth, these young adults. Like 10, to, I, 10 to 22? 10 to 22, yeah. I, I literally see myself. I literally see myself. I remember, and something that really motivated me to to want to work with this population is when I was younger and I was going through a lot of that stuff. I remember going to a therapist. Uh, his name was Doctor Grant. He was he was really cool, but I would just go in his office and he would have candy in there, and I would just take his candy and kind of slouch in the chair and yeah, I don't really care. I don't really care. And so, you know, just being able to hear their stories and and, and provide provide like a perspective of man I've been through that like I can relate to you like I I understand that as opposed to um let me fix you you know because everybody was trying to fix me when I was younger and I could care less about fixing because I got my own experience you don't understand my experience um that really has driven me to to pick that population because I think there's so much work that can be done there when you understand and you know that mindset that they're going through when they shut down and they're not trying to talk to you. When when you hear about how they're how they're interacting with their parents or how they're interacting with teachers at school getting kicked out, that was me. That was me. So I understand that firsthand. And I know what I needed back then. I just needed somebody to say, yo, like I get it. There's nothing wrong with you. You know, you're you're okay. Let's figure out how to take that same energy. That those same traits that you're exhibiting, that same leadership and influence that you have, and apply it to something different. Um, second question. What was the second question? Well, did, so how much did that influence? How much did your personal experience influence the fact that you wanted to go into mental health practitioner, yeah. uh, especially working with with emerging adults and exactly the stuff you just talked about? Definitely. So if I'm being quite honest, when I was growing up, I wanted nothing to do with mental health. I could care less, you know. Could care less about mental health, could care less about therapy. I honestly did not know what I wanted to do. I 
think there was one point in time where I thought I wanted to go to the military. My mom talked me out of that. She was like, no, don't go to the military. You got to go to college first. And I'm like, for what? Like, you know, uh, I think there was another point in time um, where I thought about being like a lawyer. And then I'm like, nah, not really. Um, it wasn't until it wasn't until just like some different life experiences throughout my college that I really started to understand that mental health was real. Mental health was something that can like really change the course of your life. If you know how to tap into it and you know how to kind of like guide and direct your mindset. Um, so, yeah, that's ultimately what got me there. So, Peyton, one thing that I still am not a little clear on here is, so you're playing ball in, in Wayne State, but you talked about how you used to smoke weed and you used to deal drugs. So was there something that happened in your life where a light switch came on? I was like, whoa, I got some, I got some changes I need to make. Yeah, I was 18 years old looking at 10 to 15 years in prison. Huh. Tell me a little <laughs> bit more about that, if you would. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm out at Wayne State, man, and, you know, uh, bad habits die hard. Didn't stop selling drugs. I was selling drugs out there, and, you know, I eventually, it eventually caught up to me. You know, I got caught, and I remember sitting in, uh, I was sitting in Pierce County, Pierce County Jail, Um and I'm just thinking to myself, like, oh, this is, you know, this is it. This is it. This is this is my life. This is what I'm about to have to deal with. <sighs> Let's go, you know. Um, but as I started thinking about that, I'm just like, man, I, I can't believe, like, this is what it is, you know. Because I, I feel like I've always had just, like, the capacity to do more. Um, but I never really, like, knew how to tap into that. And so... I fortunately got the opportunity of drug court. Um, I had a public defender. Let's take a let's take a step back real quick. Two months prior, yeah, this is this will show you how much I, my mindset was right. Two months prior, I had gotten another charge. I had gotten another charge, another drug charge, but was able to hire an attorney, and um, you know it was my first offense, and so I got off easy. You know, usually when you get off that easy, you don't have to put in any work. Um, you don't really learn your lesson. I didn't learn my lesson. And so two months later, I was looking at those felony charges. But drug court was an opportunity. And, and that's what I truly see it as. Mo I, I know a lot of people might see drug court as like, oh, I'm getting punished. But, yo, it was the best opportunity I ever had in my life because it really taught me about me and how I can hone in on my skills, my skill set, like what I'm capable of and what my like true potential is. And... Like the opportunities are endless for myself. Um, over those eighteen months, though it was like uh, it was pretty demanding, I made it out of it. You know, I made it out of it, and it showed me that I can make it out of anything. I can make it out of anything as long as I truly believe in myself, as long as I truly work on my mindset, and um, and am conscious and intentional with my mindset. Uh, so yeah, man. I've regularly talked, uh, I used to train probation officers, and one of the things we always talk about with probation officers is the two most important things that you take into any situation with you are your mind and your mouth. And I always say that the mind is a terrible thing. I always, I always liken it to one time I was out on the golf course, I hit the best drive of my life, had my favorite club in my hand, and I said, but there's a bunker right there. Mm. And the second I acknowledged that bunker, I knew that's where the ball was going. And guess what? That's where the ball went, was in the bunker. So maybe the best hole of my life ended up in the bunker. How many days going through drug court 
was your mind, did you have to override your mindset or change your own mindset? Because like you were asking yourself, is this really worth it, man? This is hard. Yeah. Um, honestly, every last day of it, every last day, it wasn't until like I completed drug court that everything started to click for me, you know? Um, and I think, I think that might be a lot of individuals struggle who are going through drug court because I mean, you think about it, Everything that you do, you know, you're forced to. You're forced to, to a certain extent. Like, you still have the choice, but you really don't have the choice. Like, if you don't do it, like, you know what you're looking at. Um, so you have to make that choice. But then as soon as you're done, right, now it's like, okay, like, go ahead and live life. And that, that external pressure is no longer there. And so all throughout drug court, you know, it's like you constantly have to, like, you have to train your mind. But that's what that showed me. It showed me like, yo, if I if I just take things and like train my mind myself, like I don't need anybody else to do this. I can do this myself. And I can actually come up with goals for myself and achieve them. And, you know, I actually like functioning off a schedule. Waking up at 5 o'clock isn't that bad. Like, you know what I mean? I actually get more done in the day. I started reflecting on these things. And it showed me like, yo, this was the best thing that happened in your life because – before that, if you would ask me to be a morning person, what? No, I could I could sleep all day. I could sleep past one o'clock. No, now my internal body clock wakes me up at five every single day, and I'm ready to attack the day and get going. And it's been like that ever since. I very hesitantly ask you this next question. Yes. What was the worst part of drug court? The worst part of drug court, if I'm being honest. So I'm from Omaha, you know. Um, it's very diverse in Omaha. It's big in Omaha. And I mean, I feel like this is part of the reason that I was able to be success, as successful as I was. I want to give some, like myself some credit because like I'm successful because of me. But also, like being from Omaha and then now I'm in Norfolk, Nebraska, where I know absolutely nobody. It's about 20,000 people there. There's Walmart and Target, like I went through one of the like deepest depressions that I ever went through in my life being out there. It was hard. It was hard mentally and then just all of the all of the requirements that were there and then on top of that like I'm watching all of my football teammates still play and like I'm supposed to be playing right before drug court I was actually battling for a starting spot in the spring ball and then that all of that is just like gone and so I'm there all by myself. I could only travel home like Maybe like once, twice every two, three months. And you had to have permission to and do it. And I had it, to have permission to... to do it. Like, yeah, that was it was tough being out there. It was tough. But I also think that if I was if I were to do drug court in my in my hometown, a part of me, part of me wants to believe I would have been good. Like I said, I want to give myself credit. Um, but on the other hand, I feel like I would just be still left to some of the same environments some of the same like circles that were there. And so maybe some of those influences would have kind of pulled me away. Maybe I wouldn't have been able to like fully invest myself into the program like I did because like I had no, it was either that or I would just be sitting out in Norfolk. Like if I just chose not to do anything, I would just be sitting there. Like, so that, that was probably like one of the hardest things for me. Was that the end of your football career? No, I, I, I was able to earn my spot back um, after six months. Like I, had a had a had a clean record for six months. I talked to the judge and 
and my uh, my drug court officer Adam Jorgensen, and they were like, "Well, show us that you know you're responsible and you can do what you do, and we'll maybe think about." It. And so, I had no sanctions, made it to every appointment, made it to every meeting, like was at everything on time, no dirty tech, like everything. And so they granted me the opportunity to move back to Wayne. Wayne reinstated my scholarship, reinstated me in the school, and I was able to pick back up with my career and finish off my seasons, which, you know, I I think that that showed me that, like, yo, I can influence people, right? You know, I had something that I wanted. I had a goal. And even though, like, that was not something that was usually done, like you usually have to be in the county that you're in for your drug court. You have to stay there. But, like, I was able to prove, like, yeah, I can do this, and I influenced I was like, okay, maybe maybe if I do do things the right way, like I can influence on a bigger scale. With the exception of drug testing every day, probably, or multiple times yeah. a week, with the exception of some of the programming that you probably had to do, especially early in the program, were you doing anything as you progress through the program that you don't do today? In other words, isn't drug court, with the exception of those things I said in the beginning, kind of like the rules of society written down on a piece of paper with somebody saying, hey, remember, you're supposed to be doing this. Remember, you're supposed to be getting up in the morning until you figure out how to do it yourself? Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I would say there are some routines and, like, patterns and, you know, maybe, like, a, attending, like, AA and NA meetings. Like, I don't really do that anymore. Um, they were they definitely helped me when I was going through, but you got to think about it. I was 18 years old, and no offense to, to people who are older than me. I love getting wisdom, but it was just like, <laughs> you know, it's like, Ah, you know, I like people my age, but I was able to, I was able to find like different circles that weren't, um, you know, just all about drugs or all about alcohol and all about these things. So I learned like, okay, like I can interact with people without being high or without being drunk. I don't have to do that before, before drug court, like wake up, smoke a blunt, go to school, smoke a blunt, skip school, smoke a blunt, go to the movie, smoke a blunt, play some basketball, smoke a blunt, go before a football game, after football. Like it was all, like every interaction, every activity I had to do, it had to have that. And so that's one big thing that it showed me. Like I don't need to do that. Like I can have fun. I can enjoy myself like without that. And like when I think about it today, like it's like, I actually like who I am. That was that was the big thing for me. That's what I really learned. I did not like who I was, and so I didn't want to feel who I was because of all those experiences, and so I would just mask it with all these drugs and alcohol. You just said that way better than what I tried to bring out during the question. <laughs> that was the perfect answer for a very bad question, so <laughs> thank you for that. Definitely. All right, so I asked you what the worst part of drug court was. What was the best part of drug court? Best part of drug court? Eesh. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, best part of drug court, I would I would definitely have to say just like the knowledge gained. The knowledge gained was the best part for me. Um, just being able to learn, like, like, I said, like I said, learn about routine, um, learn how to implement things in my life like outside of it. Because, of course, while I'm going through it, nobody wants to go through drug court. Nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to like feel like uh, all that pressure, like if I don't do this, like everything's on the line, you know? So I wasn't really able to to like fully appreciate drug court until after, you know, when I saw how it changed my life. That's when it was like, okay, this makes sense. And, and I guess to answer that question again, the best part was that I had the opportunity to do it because like I don't know where I would be or what I would be doing if I didn't have that opportunity. You know, I'd probably still be in prison 
because they hit me with the they were trying to hit me with the the hardest charge like there was no negotiation they had a substantial amount of evidence on me and it was just like yeah this is this is what it's going to be so just even having that opportunity was probably the best thing how long ago was that Man, 2012 or 13, one of those two so years. Nine, ten years ago? Yeah, yeah. If you could tell anybody anything about drug courts and your experience, or not your experience, but, but why drug courts, what would you tell them? When we look at problem-solving court, there are, you know, there are you know, specific reasons why people land a spot on problem-solving court, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's, it's some type of, you know, charge or another. You know, there are things in our life that, that lead us to that spot. But I think what's not talked about enough is, you know, the amount of energy and the amount of, like, persistence and determination that it takes to get to the spots that we're in, Right. You know, for me, I was I was selling drugs. I was using drugs. I had a business mindset. I had a business mindset. I had an entrepreneurial mindset. But I didn't quite understand how to hone in on that in the right direction. And I think the benefit of problem-solving court is if you go into it saying, okay, this is an opportunity for me to take these skills inside of me and put them towards something that can truly impact and benefit not only my life but everybody else's life around me then you can truly grow. But I think it's a two-part thing, right? One, I think problem-solving court has to show that this is what this is for. You have these things in you. You made a mistake, but you have these qualities and these traits and these skills in you that if you really learn how to hone in on them, right? If you're an addict, oh, you're doing everything that you can to get to that drug, to get to that alcohol. What if you were doing everything that you could to get to something else, something greater, right? to impact somebody, to impact your family, to impact your life. Take these skills, hone in on them, and turn them into something beautiful. That's the benefit of problem-solving court. That's what it did for me. It's all about the mindset. There you go. May is problem-solving court month in the state of Nebraska, and Peyton Hogan, I can't think of a better example. First off, congratulations on your graduation from problem-solving court about 10 years ago. And more importantly, thank you for paying it back bringing it back, uh, paying it back to your community, those 10 to 22-year-old kids up in Omaha that you're serving now. And again, thank you for being a voice for problem-solving courts in Nebraska. No problem. Thank you for having me. Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch.